gonna be weird yes hi i'm amy and i'm chris and, and we're, we're sonosphere you're listening to wyxr 91.7 on your fm dial This week on Sonosphere, we celebrate 100 years of the theremin. We had the pleasure of speaking with Dorit Chrysler on her 100 years of the theremin compilation. And we also spoke with thereminist and composer Carolina Ike. So we'll hear both of those conversations later on in the show. We're going to start off with a brief history of the theremin, and we'll talk about uh, theremin virtuoso Clara Rockmore. The theremin is an instrument with two antennas that are used to control pitch and volume using radio waves by reacting to the position of the player's hand. The invention of the theremin by Leon Theremin took place in Russia during Lenin's revolution in which Lenin established the Commissariat of Enlightenment. This commissariat was headed by Anatol Lunacharsky. He argued that revolution in society should go hand in hand with revolution in art. He adored the poet Vladimir Mayakovsky, who wrote against bourgeois art, saying, spit on rhymes and arias and the rosebush and other such mawkishness from the arsenal of the arts. Give us new forms. Tensions arose between popular proletarian artists and Lunacharsky's followers, which would rather have freedom of expression. When Stalin rose to power, he promoted the idea of Soviet modernism. But modernism, according to Stalin, if not followed, had grave consequences. Fear arose among Lunacharsky's school of musicians, many emigrating to other parts of the world, such as Theremin. Later, Theremin would be returned to Russia via exile during the 1938 Red Scare. A tumultuous beginning to the theremin. So Clara Rockmore was known as one of the best um, theremin, greatest theremin players to ever live. And she was born in Lithuania in 1911. It was clear that she inherited the family trait of perfect pitch from an early age. As noted in her biography, the Nadia Reisenberg and Clara Rockmore Foundation website, that she could pick out melodies on the piano at the age of two. She was the youngest violin student at the St. Petersburg Imperial Conservatory, where she was a pupil of Leopold Auer. Due to the turmoil of post-revolution Russia, her family left via horse-drawn wagon for a country that they might be able to secure a visa to the U.S. Clara and her sister Nadia performed to earn enough money until they left for America on a steamship. Arriving in New York in December 1921, she resumed her studies with Leopold Auer, Clara developed an arthritic problem shortly before she was set to make her an American debut and was forced to give up the violin. She meets Theremin, and the history is made. So now we'll hear Concerto for two violins in D minor 
BWV 1030, the second movement by Johann Sebastian Bach, but arranged by Eric Friedman and Clara Rockmore. Following that, you'll hear an interview featuring Eric Friedman, Clara Rockmore, and Robert Sherman talking about the theremin and the performance itself. I guess it's safe to say that that is the first time you have heard the Largo from the Bach D minor concerto that way, played theremin, violin, and piano by Clara Rockmore, Eric Friedman, and Nadia Reisenberg. Absolutely beautiful. And so a welcome to our very special guests, Clara Rockmore, Nadia Reisenberg, Eric Friedman. And Eric, let me start by wondering what it's like for a violinist to play with a thereminist. I originally thought it was a vitamin. <laughs> 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 something one takes in the morning. <laughs> but I must say that um, I know Clara has, has uh, who is so marvelously modest, you know, is very grateful that I'm playing with her. And actually, I'm grateful to play with her because I wish violinists could learn the sustaining power and the, the, the emotional impact of that instrument and what she does with it. I think it's a marvel. I really do. Clara, how do you feel about... I mean, you were sitting there envying the violinist, his bow and his fingerboard and all the rest of it. Well, I would prefer to play the Bach on four strings, <laughs> and playing it in the air is not unlike a trapeze artist who has to make jumps in the air without a net underneath. You don't know whether you land there or not. But it was a joy to play with Eric and a joy to play with Nadia. And for me, chamber music is the, as a former violinist, that's what I miss most. So it was a thrill. And Mom, from your point of view, how did the trio sound? Well, I think they are 
both consummate musicians. They are certainly musicians of excellent taste, and I think almost without rehearsal, actually, if somebody would know just how little we rehearsed, it is quite wonderful that, that we can achieve the kind of ensemble that we did. I must, yes. I must say that, uh, that I played this, the last time I played this in my, in my life, forgive me for mentioning it, was with Yasha Heifetz on a recording. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's unfair of Clara because I didn't know the first violent part. I only know the second violent part. <laughs> <laughs> Clara, what is involved in finding your way in the air? I mean, how do you know where in this spectrum of uh, airspace near the antenna that you're supposed to be? You don't know, but you have an instinct and you have uh, your work and uh, it is, it is uh, of course, impossible for me as a musician to just play everything Lissanda. So just to make music, I, it, I, it's necessary to take the risk and to jump and to try to jump in the middle of the note because there are not only you have to hit the right note, you have to hit the middle of the note, the center of the note, mm -hmm. to be in tune. So that's uh, not well, an easy thing to achieve. Well, I can tell you that I've tried to play this term in several times and in spite of my absolute pitch, I can't play three notes in tune on this thing. <laughs> if I want to correct something, it should be a tiny bit higher or not, I get a third higher or, <laughs> or fourth. Well, no, that's no, right, no. because really the, you have this, how many octaves? I have five octaves approximately uh, within the span of my arm, which is not very long, as you know. So that the it's spacings are tiny. Yes. You're listening to WIXR 91.7. We just heard an interview with Clara Rockmore, Eric Friedman, and Robert Sherman. Uh, that was the theremin with two violins uh, that we heard just now. And we are about to go into our um, episodes about the theremin. We'll hear first from Carolina Ike. Carolina Ike is one of the world's foremost thereminists. Uh, we will hear her talk about growing up with classical music and how she knew that the theremin would be her thing. So stay tuned for, for Carolina Ike coming up right after this.
Yes, first of all, I think we often deny feelings we have. And I think it's important that we go through every feeling and that we accept every feeling we have. Because if we don't, if we push something away, um, it will eventually catch us. It will eventually catch us. It will eventually catch us. Germany and I play the theremin and I sing. Is that what you had in mind? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> making music when I was five years old. I started with playing piano and then I had violin lessons when I was six. And I got a theremin from my parents when I was seven years old. So, and then I started getting lessons with Lydia Kavina when I was young. And so, yeah, I sort of always knew that the theremin would be my instrument and that would be my thing. I grew up with classical music mainly. Um, my education was uh, around classical music. I learned to play piano and violin, studied classical viola to become an orchestra musician, um, which I didn't continue, but that's how my education was. Um, so improvising is not a typical thing you do in classical music. So I learned improvising after I studied um, together with a jazz musician. And it's really a lot about personality and how you feel in a certain moment and how you can just let go in a moment and um, somehow channel ideas and energies. Um, so yeah, that you can be, make the most music in the now and in, in most honest music there is and that's always that always has been my goal to find a voice um, in the music which is as honest as I possibly can be and so I can I can take things from from the classical world I can um, use that structure I have learned from you know from music theory and put it on my pieces um, but then the actual music, I'm always trying 
to come up with ideas you know, through through improvisation through the moment. Um, I'm not really you know, I can't really sit down with a blank piece of paper and come something with something up um, because that's that will be mind based. I did that too, like you know, doing mathematical um, things and to you know come up with music. That's a, that's a different way. But for me, I found out that um, writing music or composing music uh, is for me more. Uh, um, thing which has to yeah has to come from from the moment, and so compositions uh, come through improvisations. And then if I like something, then I stick to it and make it into a composition. started singing much later maybe when I was a teen <laughs> um, and I took lessons with many different teachers and it took me a long time to develop um, my singing voice to the point where I felt comfortable with it because I was pretty tensed and but I was using or I'm using my voice more as an instrument and some people say my singing sounds like I'm playing the theremin so I'm always keeping that approach because that feels more natural to me and that's how when I can be free with my voice. So that's also why I don't sing specific lyrics. I make up my own yeah, fantasy language which I don't really think about. I just I just do it. So that's where I feel most comfortable with. with orchestras because there's a great color palette um, and I think the theremin blends in very well with all the sounds an orchestra has to provide and I yeah I play classical pieces or contemporary pieces by um, composers who have um, yeah they, they, they took a took time really to dig into uh, how do you really play the theorem and how, what is possible with the instrument? And I like to be challenged in the um, technical way. Like sometimes there will be a, a hard passage to play and in the first place I think, well, this is, I'm never gonna, going to be able to play this, but um, then I have to find a way um, to make it possible and to, to invent maybe a new playing technique to be able to play it on the theorem. And that's a very, yeah, that's something different than the Theremin voice project. So, uh, but I enjoy that too.
I started to play the theremin when I was seven, but it took much longer for me to come to a point uh, where I really was satisfied with the way I was playing. I mean, longer than maybe with the violin, <laughs> for example, um, because um, it took a long time to develop a certain playing technique. Um, when I was 16, around that time, um, I thought, you know, I, I need to come right up with something more specific as I have learned until now to be able to play more in tune and more precisely. So I came up with this, with this uh, eight finger position technique, which, which allows me to play a note in tune before I have even heard it. So I don't need to correct my notes, but I pretty much know um, because I have certain finger positions, which are certain notes, which note I'm going to play. Um, and but that's just yeah, that's the basic technique <laughs> which I yeah invented. But then on top of that, there's much more to discover. Um, and I mean, the the more difficult the piece, the the more challenges there are to come up with new ideas. Um, for example. Yeah, glissando techniques. Like, you would you would you would say maybe, oh yeah, the theremin is a uh, a typical instrument to play glissandos on. But a glissando is not just a glissando. There's a thousand ways to play a glissando. So, how exactly do we want to approach a note? Um, do we want to slide in quickly, or do you want to take time in the beginning or in the end? So, yeah, there's all these little nuances <laughs> um, which make sound interesting and which make it a nice challenge to come up with new ideas. I'm, I'm writing my second method book right now and I'm going much more into detail with that. I'm like, posture is so important while playing the theremin because every little movement changes the pitch so I've been working very much on my posture over the last years like how exactly do we want to sit which angle are the feet um, how is the breathing reacting to the theremin sound how exactly do we want to breathe uh, in which time phrase like maybe we breathe in the, during the breaks so you know all these little things um, and then I've also come up with more distinguished left-hand playing technique. It's not just like, yeah, you distinguish between different articulation types, for example. And many things I do intuitively, but then when I teach my students, I'm, I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, I know how I would want this to sound, but how do I explain this to someone so that he or she can copy it? So that's, that's always when it gets interesting. when my very good friend of mine died at first I thought well I, I, I tried to tell myself well that's normal because I knew that she was sick and 
for two months I yeah I just was walking around as nothing had happened or I just yeah told myself that this was a normal thing until I got these panic um, panic attacks um, and then finally realized that's because I was you know pushing away sadness um, and so today still when I'm thinking of my friend I'm sad and but I allow myself to feel that and I don't think that sadness for example is a negative feeling I kind of enjoy it even um, so that's yeah they're not bad feelings they're no, no good feelings it's just yeah we have feelings and we should experience experience those um, unless they don't harm anybody else like anger for example um, that, that's a yeah, unless feelings don't harm anybody, um, we're just allowed to have them. And so in, yeah, in this um, process of mourning, um, if you allow yourself to be sad, then it's much easier to, to be happy as well and to express joy um, because um, there were joyful moments, for example, for, with this person um, and you allowed yeah you you allow yourself to express those as well because there's no negative or positive it's just that's what's there for Thurman was we recorded that uh, over a stretch of two years and I came into the studio with compositions and so and basically a lot was loop based but on the album you don't you hear the loops as, as a composition but um, there's no actual looping going on everything's played and sang alive so there's no not many edits and then in the studio, um, I would also improvise around these, um, you know, already fixed compositions, and new compositions would come up by doing that. sitting down and thinking like what what is this all about like why does this track sound like this or um and it just came through the process that um my producer alan farmello and i felt that that's the topic um i'm expressing with this album i mean music happens in the moment so that's what i'm expressing in that moment and maybe you know in a different moment i'll be expressing something else and um, then that's a different story. And now it's yeah, now it's out there. And now it's we just put it out there, and that's that's fine. You can make peace with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
the way the theremin is played taps into this primal instinct of, you know, I call it the Houdini effect, you know, just waving your hands in the air. There's something about it. But then you play it and it sounds terrible. It's so difficult and almost impossible to master. Um, so you end up a little bit in despair and then to, to pull yourself up again and, and continue the journey. That's why I was also inspired to then develop some kind of curriculum to help other people to you know stick with it and and have fun and, and in, enjoy exploring the instrument and not giving up on it too quickly. In this episode of Sonosphere, we highlight master theremin player Dorit Chrysler. She's also the curator of the Theremin 100 compilation celebrating 100 years of the theremin. Chrysler says the tracks were chosen to highlight versatility in style, musicality, technique, and innovation. The album was released on February 8th and is part of the 100th birthday celebration of the theremin. We'll also hear how Chrysler found the magic of the theremin, her influences in music, and how she is working to integrate the theremin and other lesser-known analog and electronic instruments and techniques into music education today. I'm, I'm today and specifically tired because yesterday was a really intense theremin day, actually, yeah. Because um, in the morning I was rehearsing six-piece theremin ensemble for an upcoming performance. And then we were building theremins for five hours with um, a full workshop of people. So it was really cool. But um, yeah. yeah, all the theremins we built ended up working, so that's good. My name is Dorit Chrysler. I play the theremin, I compose music, and I'm also the co-founder of the New York Theremin Society. Um, I'm from Austria. I'm, I was born in Graz, and um, I studied musicology in Vienna, and then I was rebelling against my classical trained uh, background. I was um, already singing as a kid um, in the opera and um, I immigrated to New York to start a rock and roll band and uh, did that for a couple of years. And then um, I encountered a theremin at a friend's house and it was truly love at first sight. Um, it was just an, you know, unassuming box standing in a corner with a metal antenna and um, my friend was plugging in a cord and then suddenly the most um, unique wondrous strangest sounds immersed emerged and um, I was really surprised that having studied musicology that I have never heard about this instrument so what what was the story of this stepchild of uh, music instruments so I was digging in and um, the challenge of, I mean, when I heard it the first time, there was an instant um, vision of um, how beautiful and expressive it potentially could sound and that there actually is no electric instrument that has the detail 
powerful and dynamic that this um, that this instrument offered. You know, maybe only acoustic instruments can do that. The electric one that had this dynamic range. So I was instantly taken and fascinated and hence started my long um, journey with the theremin. mastering playing it you know i think um the theremin is still gravely underestimated as an instrument it is a very young instrument and it's its curse and blessing in a way is that because of its unusual interface it can very easily sound really terrible easier than other instruments and it's extremely hard to play in a melodic musical way so um that doesn't help its cause and um it's also hard to play perform live because um it, it responds to every object every circuit um that is in the room so it's harder to make it work well than um, other instruments if you put it in a live situation so all of these reasons and the and the history of, of the instruments um have a lot of people misconceived about the theremin and think that you know it can only do the sci-fi movie thing or it can only do some woo-woo um, abstract stuff but um, there really is so much more to it I saw the documentary, um, the, the Theremin documentary, and um, heard Clara Rockmore play. At that time, social media was not um, flooded with um, as many Theremin players as it is now. And um, so there were not many references, but Clara set the bar really high. Yeah, Clara Rockmore, she really is the first female electronic musician um, pioneer. Yeah, one cannot imagine the, the, the reaction of people encountering 
her in the late 20s performing on the theremin and also touring the country with Paul Robeson and I mean, the ultimate essence of progressiveness and um, beautiful just new ideas and perspective and it's still tragic in a way that um, despite all this promise at that time then the theremin and it's creative development, you know, with Clara then not really playing anymore and Leon Fairman leaving New York, that then the development kind of, um, you know, stopped um, and took a break for several decades until till recently it's been rediscovered. And Clara Rockmore's case also just proves that it always takes an artist to put um, a new innovation, you know, breathe, to breathe life into it and to kind of take it to the next level so people can really be exposed and fall in love with it. how people assume it is an inclusive secret society like the freemasons it's it's the idea is, <laughs> the idea is really to to offer inclusivity and to just kind of create a social platform to promote you know using the theremin in 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 different disciplines and inform people about it and and offer access to concerts and learning and building um, the instruments. And it's really tremendous how the interest has grown uh, in people wanting to know more about the theremin. So it's, it's wonderful to see. So, yeah, we do offer worldwide, you know, um, theremin classes for children and, um, and grown-ups. And like the workshop yesterday, building theremins. And then a lot of times we help consult you know, when there's a, a dance production in Paris working with tapsy tones or a lot of a lot of artists, a lot of this different disciplines, theater and, and so forth, they're, they're starting to, they want to use theremins and uh, a lot of people just don't know the full range of what you can do with it. You can be a member of the theremin society, you're a theremin enthusiast, so it's, it's open.
yes, I think um, things have really changed in the last few years dramatically because um, we have more and more good, um, you know, thereminists. We have more and more musician artists working with thereminists on in in on visible platforms for people to see and um, people really starting to find their own sound with this instrument, meaning there's more confidence about how to use it and not just using it in the classical, strict, melodic way to prove that it is a real instrument. We're like beyond that now. I think there still needs to be more. The theremin still should more present in popular music um, there's not much repertoire still or not enough repertoire still for theremin and and we still need more players but um in the last 10 years it's it's been growing tremendously um it's it's just wonderful to see it's a huge difference and um yeah the record you know makes a case for people just having fun and being inspired it's important for me to say that some of these musicians on the compilations are professional Feminists, musicians, and some of them are not. That was also in the spirit of just being inclusive, allowing, you know, different approaches because there's no right or wrong. Um, it's just being creative with the instrument. What about the next, the new generation um, making electronic, making electric music and somehow working with the theremin and, you know, the, the sound is produced uh, by not touching anything, anything and in interacting with this interface and all the kids of today are so used to the same principle of iPads, of of uh, pressing buttons and, and interactive interfaces and there they use their own body and it's a it's a very primal phenomena of motion to sound basically i just uh, started to work with kids and created a curriculum of what i wished i would have had when i was um four or five and we're using um the theraminis the moog theraminis because they have presets so you can go on those presets and they filter out the the notes that are not in the scale that you can set and with with that quality of the instrument you know we're setting up 10 theraminis in a circle and we have 10 four-year-olds playing in perfect tune along to a Kraftwerk or Brian Eno song. And my heart is jumping every time that happens. So they're familiarized with this vocabulary. It's the most normal thing for them. The theremin is so much fun because it's this open, you know, um, it's it's fun, it's silly. And they, they're usually more creative in exploring the instrument than a lot of grown-ups that try for the first time so i usually learn as much as hopefully the kids do as well so it um yeah it makes perfect sense to to just kind of work with the vocabulary of electronic music and and see what what people will do when they already are familiar with it at early age we'll find out it's super exciting
was important for me to kind of just put more focus and, and draw electric analog sounds into the established you know, fields of music education. I thought that's like a very healthy thing that just needs to be more present to, in general, elevate the status of that genre. We know that um, the instrument, the theremin, was um, mentioned in public for the first time in the beginning of the year 1920. It seems like a good momentum to, to really point attention and sell to the instrument and celebrate the centennial and see where it's come to from, from there to here. When we had this shout out this call about um, let's celebrate the centennial of the theremin, but let's go beyond just organizing events in all the nests of enthusiasts across the planet. Let's let's try to create something that has a um, longer lasting effect. Let's just see what are people doing with the instrument this very moment. And it was a complete surprise for everyone who even knew a lot of, um, you know, I thought we all know each other because it's still a small community, but um, I got responses from literally all over the planet uh, of submissions. And the big surprise was the versatility of all kinds of styles and explorations that people all over this world were undertaking with this instrument. It had all inspired them in different ways to kind of assemble that and put that together and listen to that it's just really it's it's fascinating and it's charming and interesting and uh, just gives a real snapshot of um, how the instrument you know has developed Um, I have the honor to premiere um, a piece by Laurie Spiegel. Um, she wrote a beautiful composition for theremin and piano that's never been, it's only been played once in Paris before. Herb Deutsch, um, who, as I'm sure you know, is credited together with Bob Moog for the invention of um, the synthesizer, he is also represented on the theremin record with a beautiful composition for theremin that he, he wrote. He celebrates his 88th birthday the following day, so it will be a beautiful evening. The theremin really is one of the few instruments that allows you to find your own voice of expression because it is still in the gray zone of what it's supposed to really sound like. I, I personally think it still has not found its true voice. It's a very young instrument. It might still take a few decades to kind of find its next big splash, distinctive color that everyone will associate the theremin with. Gotta wait a little bit for that. And I don't know what it might be, but um, we'll see. Mm -hmm. 
to WYXR 91.7 FM here in Memphis, Tennessee, or maybe all over the world at WYXR.org. Thanks for tuning in to Sonosphere. Today, we are excited to present info about the theremin. And we will leave you with Dorit Chrysler performing Eric Satie's Hymnopathy Number 1 on the theremin. <laughs> 